0: Praise God. Amen. Well, I, that's how I start every one. That's how I start every day. I hope you do too. In the presence of God, you know, if you don't have time or you miss a day, just get just turn on YouTube while you're getting dressed on your way to work. Something just just start out in the presence of God. Such a great way to get the day started. Amen. Praise God. Oh, Are you guys awake this morning? Y'all seem awful quiet. I, th- I thought the worship would have woke y'all up a little bit, but y'all still quiet. Can I, at least I hear somebody say amen to get started? Okay. All right. I, I don't know what you were amening, but just get your vocals going a little bit this morning. Praise God. Well, guys, we're in a series right now uh, called Church Family, and it was going to be too long, but we could have called it Church Family Business. Uh, we could have called it Church Family Life, just really talking about One Life specifically and our church family here at One Life. And the, I probably should have told you this from the beginning, but the kind of the goal of the series is to answer the question, why, for a lot of different things that we do in a lot of ways that we are. You know, last week we talked about the why of the student ministry, why we focus on kids and youth and this week we're going to be talking about a little bit of the church structure and order and sort of culture of the church because every church has a different church culture right you just like a business just like a family you know you walk in and you can tell there's a there's a culture about this group of people about this group of organization and if you've especially if you've been in church different churches you can tell almost immediately when you walk into a church that there's a church culture that was established and is that way and ch- church cultures are kind of a living organism you know they they change over time as as people change as the pastor and the leadership grow and and get more experience and maturity and the people and the staff and the kid and, and all of it just changes but there's a church culture everywhere you go one of the Uh, because I've worked on a lot of different church staffs and been in church ministry for a long time and one of the things that I've noticed is when people come from one type of church culture they don't always have an easy time assimilating into a new and different type of church culture and so that's important for us if we change churches which by the way we shouldn't really be doing a lot right we should get planted where God's called us and and be there uh, through ups and downs and whatnot but um, one thing I have seen is that it's important when someone comes into a church that they they learn and understand the church culture that God's asking them to be a part of, right? And I think a mistake that people make, that I've seen people make, is to come into a new church culture and immediately start trying to change that church culture based on what they've seen, known, and experienced. How many know that's the wrong path? That that's not a good idea. That's that's not gonna work. Now the church culture might not fit for every person in other words you may come in and you go well this this isn't where god has me to be and and then that person they go on and they find the church where they're supposed to be because you know i understand that as a pastor that one life is not for everybody there are a lot of good churches in this city and i know a lot of the pastors in this city a lot of really good churches i pray for those pastors i pray for those churches and god uses them uh you know we've had pastor cedric from global impact come here and we, we, we both send each other people going, hey, this person's not going to fit here, but I think they would fit great there and, and vice versa. Because we're part of the body of Christ first and foremost, right? And I never have enjoyed, you know, criticizing other churches, but, but more just going, hey, they're different. That's how they operate. That's how they do. This is how we do. It's different. Not saying either is right or wrong. It's just not how we do it. And so it's important to understand the church culture that you're part of, right, and, and understand the, the type of church family that you're part of. So that's really a big part of this series is understanding the church that you're part of and answering the questions of why we do things the way that we do. Because there's nothing that we do that is sort of just haphazard. You know, everything has a reason and a why behind it, and so we're going to kind of answer some of those questions as we continue to go through this series and today we're going to talk specifically about the order and structure and culture of the church and I want to begin in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and today I'm just going to talk about um, there are going to be a couple different things one is sort of our church services and the way our church services are the way that they are but but also it's going to get into even the decision making the way that we make decisions and things like that so 2nd Samuel chapter 6 is where we're going to start now if you have read through the Old Testament uh, you probably found out a few things about the personality of God um, and some things that you may not have known if you all you ever did was go to Sunday school or hear sermons because a lot of the old testament gets skipped over if you know what i mean there's just a lot of stuff that you don't preach about because <laughs> well it just almost wouldn't really fit in a, in a sermon per se that's why you got to read the bible for yourself you got to read it cover to cover eventually you know you got to you got to get through it but the old testament if you read it through you're going to find out a lot of things about the personality of god some of those things you may not understand some of those things I mean, I, we read through the Bible in 90 days as a church one time, um, and I think we only had about three people finish, but a lot of people started. But one of the ladies that finished, I remember she came to me crying, and she was like, I'm reading things in the Old Testament. I just did not know about God. I, I don't understand this. I don't understand. And so we had a great conversation about it. But I find that when people read their Bible through all the way, uh, they find out a lot about things about God that they didn't know. And they find out a lot of things about Christianity that they didn't know. And one of the things that you will find out about God when you read through the Old Testament is you will find out very quickly that he likes things done a certain and particular way. He is very particular about how he wants things done. You can find this out when you go read all the instructions that he gave about how to build the tabernacle, for example, in the book of Exodus. There are... Whole chapters, chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter, about the measurements of each of the bolts and what the construction of the bolt had to be and the threads on the tassels and exactly what each pole was going to be made out of and its length and its width. And it just goes on and on. It's one of those parts of the Bible where you start nodding off if you're not paying attention uh, because it's just extremely detailed. We find out later in Scripture a tremendous revelation in the book of Hebrews that the reason he was so detailed in particular in the building of the tabernacle is because it was actually being modeled after a real tabernacle that's in heaven so Moses was actually creating a replica of something that was in heaven so it was just had to be just right it wasn't one thing that was supposed to be out of place same thing when he creates the ark of the covenant same thing when Solomon builds the temple every little thing is is perfect and in place and how it how it should be so and and then what you also find out is that when God did give very specific instructions about how things were to be done it was be it would be very advisable for you to not violate that it would be very advisable for you to not come along and go well I know God said it this way but here's my idea of how things ought to be done okay that happened right from the beginning Cain and Abel they were told what kind, of instru- what kind of offerings to bring. Abel brings his offering as the Lord had instructed. Cain brought a totally different type of offering from the fruit of the ground because he was uh, into agriculture and it made more sense for him, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure he had his reasons, as we all do. Right? We self-talk ourselves right into deception and right into disobedience. And, and he did that. And was God pleased? No. And what God told him was, he said, this is very simple. This is very simple, Cain. He said, you know what to do. I'm paraphrasing. He said, you know what to do. Go and do right, and there'll be no, no problem. But if not, sin is crouching at the door, and it's going to lead you down a whole path that you don't need to go down that way. And it just goes on from there. You can read about the guy that God, Moses, clearly laid out the instructions about how the Sabbath was to be. And then this knucklehead decided that he was going to go and pick up sticks on the Sabbath day. He ended up getting stoned to death. And see, sometimes we don't understand how serious the Word and the instruction of God is. We think, and and especially in America, and especially in a democracy where we don't have a lot of respect for absolute authority, we just have this mindset, of, oh, we'll just do whatever we want. Yeah, they said do it this way, but we'll do it that way. You know, that doesn't really work very well in God's kingdom because God's looking for obedience first and foremost. Obedience and submission to his word. Second Samuel, I asked you to turn there. Second Samuel chapter 6. Now what's going on here is the Ark of the Covenant was actually stolen by the Philistines. If you remember the Ark of the Covenant, it carried the presence of God. Uh, and and the, 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 the Israelites would bring it into battle and things like that. It had, it had its place in the tabernacle and eventually in the temple that Solomon built. But the Ark of the Covenant was a golden box with angels on it and, and everything like that and eventually it housed the Ten Commandments and it housed Aaron's staff which God had caused to bud even though it was a dead a staff that had been dead and, and for a long time God calls it to bud leaves uh, in, in, the, in the book of Exodus and so the Ark of the Covenant, it, it was the presence of God, is where the presence of God lived. And I'm not going to get into the story of that this morning because it would just take too long. But eventually the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, goes from the Ark of the Covenant to the temple in Jerusalem and then in the New Testament to the believer who is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's an amazing process how the presence of God moves. But in 2 Samuel chapter 6, the Ark of the Covenant has been stolen from the Israelites. But then when the Philistines have it, they start having all kinds of problems because they're not supposed to have it. And so they end up getting tumors and cancer and all kinds of problems. And so uh, they send it away. They're like, we don't want this thing. And, and then they send it. And it was at a guy named Abinadab's house. Um, and so now they're getting the Ark of the Covenant and they're bringing it back into Jerusalem. This is King David. So it's a celebration. The Ark of the Covenant has been gone. It's been missing. This is a day of victory, a day of celebration. They've got the Ark of the Covenant. They're bringing it back. He's got dancers. There's tambourines. People are shouting. People are excited. They're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. And so that's where we pick up 2 Samuel 6.3. They carried the Ark of God on a new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart, with the ark of God and Ahio went before the ark verse 5 and David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets I don't even know what that is and symbols and when they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. Let's keep reading verse 8. And David was angry. Really, he was angry with God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez-Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me so this is an interesting situation right They're they're moving the ark of God and the issue here is what a lot of people don't realize is that God had laid out specific instructions in the law about how to move the ark if you go back and read it I I didn't want to be too tedious this morning but I we could have included that passage but basically, it, when the ark was created, it was created with golden rings on the side. And there, was a, there were poles that were created and laid with gold that were supposed to remain in those rings. And they would carry it with four people, two on either end of the pole. And that is how the ark of God, Any anytime it was to be moved, that's how, it was to be instru- that's how God instructed him that it was to be moved. And it was understood by God that if you were going to move the ark of God, you were supposed to know this and understand this. How many of you know that ignorance of the law is not an excuse? I've tried that one before. Matter of fact, I had a police officer ask us one time, "Well, did you know what the speed limit was?" <laughs> no, I did not. Doesn't matter. <laughs> no ignorance of the law, because if you're going to participate in that activity, you you better make yourself familiar with the law. So it was presupposed and pre that they were going to make themselves familiar with this. And that's not what they were doing. Instead of carrying the ark the way God instructed, they decided to put it on a cart for whatever reason. I know putting it on a cart and having an oxen pull it is probably a lot easier than carrying that big thing on, uh, with poles. Did they do it because it was easier? Did they do it because they was ignorant? I don't know. But I can see from David's perspective. Because from David's perspective, I can see why he was angry. Because from David's perspective, this is a day of celebration. Everybody's happy. We're celebrating. We've got tambourines. People are shouting. People are dancing. We're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back in. And yet, in that moment of celebration, we're going to get this very serious side of God that that the anger of God comes out against Uzzah because he touched the Ark in a way that he wasn't supposed to and he struck down dead. I can tell you what happened. There was a whole new fear of God put in everybody that day. That if you're going to be in the presence of God, it is not a casual atmosphere. It it is not a buddy-buddy relationship. It, It is not something that you approach with a casual attitude, but you approach it with seriousness because it is the presence of God. This happened multiple times. This wasn't the only time this happened. It even happened in the book of Acts with Ananias and Sapphira. You remember that? And same thing, on that day the Bible says that it put fear throughout the whole church. You know, we live in a very casual society right now. Just the other day I was at Uh, I was at a coffee shop, and there were two ladies in there, and this is normal, this is like par for the course these days. There's two ladies watching an iPad together, and the volume just all the way up, and no concern about anybody else in the cap, forget headphones or in that, just volume all the way up, who knows what they're watching, just like they're in their own little world, like they're in their living room not at a coffee shop my wife was at a doctor's office David had a big sign on the wall that said please do not take your phone calls inside this office why because people get on their phones got it on speakerphone yelling huh can't, can't hear you like like you're in your living room how do you know that this is not your living room this is the church of the living God it's not our living room it's a public it's a it's a sanctuary for the presence of God and it should be treated differently than our private space, just like in those other uh, situations that we're talking about. Um, you know, we should have common courtesy for those that are around us, but in church, it's different. Not only should we have courtesy for each other, it's about the presence of God. It's about honoring God through worship and showing him respect. And just to be honest, you know, I've seen a, a, a drop in this in my time of uh, there just doesn't seem to be the respect that there needs to be from people when they're in church, and I'm not, you know, I'm not getting on to anybody or anything like that, but just talking about this issue, I, I've seen this where there just seems to be way too much distraction in churches, not just this church specifically, but churches. I mean, hey, let's start with cell phones. People come in, they, you know, their cell phones are going off, people's alarms going off, people getting up to go get coffee out in the foyer, coming back in, people going to the bathroom, people fiddling. Look, let's go to the worst version. This is a true story. This really did happen here at One Life. Okay, Uh, Some people don't believe me when I tell this story. This really did happen. One Sunday I was preaching, and I kept hearing this click the whole time that I was preaching. Click, click, click. I thought somebody had one of those little pins that you push, you know? Click, 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 click. And I, and I remember I told Brandon after, I said, you got to find the pin clicker. You got to find this person that is clicking that pin. It is driving me crazy. Take that pin out of their hand and throw it in the trash. It is just driving me crazy. I can't focus. Well, come to find out, it was not a pin. We found a pile of toenails underneath somebody's chair. It was not a pin, it was the clickety-clack of toenail clippers, clipping Look, how do you get to that point, okay, where your shoes come off, your socks come off? How do you get to that point? And, and I know who it was. I know who it was. And they don't go here anymore, so don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> but, but, but And the reason we know is because we had to, we had to we, It happened again. It happened again. And so Brandon had to politely go up to the person after church and say, "I'm sorry to have to ask you, this, but could you please not clip your toenails in the worship center uh, in the middle of service? And by the way, if you did, could you clean them up?" <laughs> I say again, this is not your living room. <laughs> okay, I can tell you more stories. I can tell you more stories. Um, and some people have different feelings about all these things you know everybody feels different so some people are more you know relaxed and, and chill about it other people wish there was more you know order or whatnot. Um, so that's one rule we have you know don't clip your toenails in in the service please do that at home um, we have another rule all people that will be playing instruments have to be on the stage part of the worship team now you may think, is there really a need for that type of rule? Oh yes, there is, yes there is, because we have had people bring in instruments and want to play them from the chair in the congregation. That doesn't work. I'm sorry. Now that, there may be churches where that happens and that's allowed. One life's not one of them. Anybody that's going to be playing an instrument is going to be on the stage, part of the worship team. Okay. So there's a lot, of things that, a lot of things in church that people don't think about. There are some churches that are very loosey-goosey and everything goes. Anybody could come up and preach at any point. Anybody could give a word. Anybody could do anything. Just, the rule, everything's very, very relaxed. That's not how one life is because me personally, I don't think that's how God is. Because when I read in the Bible, there's none of that. When I read in the Bible, it's very ordered very structured very particular how God does who he anoints to do certain tasks who he graces who he gives ability everybody has a function everybody has a place everybody has a role and they need to be in that role and in that function and there should be an extreme reverence and respect and awe for the presence of God um, in our church amen so in this case You know, again, I I can understand David. I can understand his frustration because he's trying to celebrate. And he's thinking, man, this is a great day. But then all of a sudden this very severe thing happens. And how many of you know God is never wrong? God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make a sin. He wasn't being too harsh. Apparently, that was the appropriate response to what was being done. Now, thank God that we're under grace in the New Testament. And that you don't get a lot of this, but it doesn't mean that God still doesn't feel the same way that He does about the reverence and the respect and the honor that should be shown. Thank God He doesn't, you know, just, you know, that the presence of God doesn't break out against us and somebody fall dead when we get out of line, but does that mean He doesn't care anymore about it? No, I think He still very much cares. And I think that we should still walk in the presence and reverence of God. Amen. So, yeah, I think we could come up a level in that. I I think, you know, uh, when we come in service, uh, I think our children should be taught this. You know, I think our children should know and understand when you come to church, there's a certain way that you act. This is not, you don't just come in church and and run wild and run amok and and grab the donuts and, and pull, you know, donut flakes all over the place and leave trash behind. We should help them understand that this is a place of reverence and respect, and we should at really all public spaces, they should learn that, but especially the house of God. Amen. So, and I think as adults, when we come in service, I know our attention spans have gotten about this big, you know, over since the age of technology and all of that, uh, and social media and all of that, but our church service is an hour and a half. And I'm sorry to have to say this to adults, but I do think we should use the bathroom before and then after church and I and I think if you want coffee I think you should get it before and after if you want I don't think that we should be getting up during the worship and the Word of God that we come to you know once a week for an hour and a half I think God deserves that hour and a half of our full undivided attention and so is it a little extra effort I understand people have to get up please don't misunderstand people have to get up and go to work There are medical issues that people have there are families that may be getting called out because their their kids are in the nursery and they're having an issue and somebody has there's all kinds of reasons that people have to get up I I understand it but I but with that aside if it's not that I think that there should be a reverence and respect for the church of God and for the service of God and that when the worship is happening we don't need to be disinterested we need to be engaged honoring God and when the word is going forth we need to give it our undivided attention and focus and not be piddling and doing and distracted and moving around we need to discipline our minds to hear the Word of God amen here's another example Exodus chapter 30 verse 34 now this is where God explains to Moses another one of those detailed things he tells him uh, about the incense that is to be created and how it is to be offered uh, on the incense, and in, and in other places, he gives him the exact measurements and how it's to be done. But here, Exodus 30:34, 30, the Lord said to Moses, "Take sweet spices, stacked and onica and galbanum. Sweet spices with pure frankincense of each. Uh, there shall be an equal part, and make an incense blended, as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small." and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you it shall be most holy for you and the incense that you shall make according to its composition you shall not make for yourselves it shall be for you holy to the Lord whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from the people of God so here he gives the instructions of this incense that's to be made and he gives a few little rules with it he says number one you can't use anything else other than this in the act of worship Number two, you can't substitute anything for it. Like you, you can't run out of galbanum, whatever that is. You can't run down, out of that and go down to the Walmart and pick up, you know, something else. You, it's got to be this specifically. It's got to be this way. And he says you can't use it for yourself. You can't take it home and use it for some other purpose. It's dedicated for this. So fast forward to Leviticus chapter 10 verse 1 and we get this story. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And so Aaron held his peace. Now, let's look at what's going on with this story. Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, they were part of the Levitical priesthood. And so this was something that they probably did every day. This was something that they did every day. And all of a sudden, they got too relaxed with it and they got too common with it. And they did something that dishonored God and they paid the price for it with their life. Now, this is Old Testament and you may read this and think this is too harsh that was when we were reading through the Bible in 90 days that was that poor lady that came to talk to me she's like I I just didn't know God was that was that harsh well here's the thing Uh, it's actually not harsh that's how we see it that's how we interpret it because we're so loosey-goosey and everything but actually it's not harsh it's correct and what you see in the New Testament is grace instead of judgment and punishment but it doesn't mean that the correct judgment and punishment is not this The correct judgment and punishment is this. It's just that God doesn't want us dying. He doesn't want us to walk in punishment and judgment all the time. So he put that judgment and punishment on Jesus so that we wouldn't have to walk in it. But it doesn't make it incorrect. And it doesn't make it that that's not what the judgment and the punishment should be for this type of attitude towards the things of God. Now, praise God for his grace and mercy that we don't don't walk in that. But but because we walk in so much grace and mercy, we have totally relaxed our attitude. Many times in the church, we have totally relaxed our, our attitude and our approach to the presence and the holiness of God. But I can tell you in heaven, in the presence of God, in the throne room of God where the angels are, there's nobody strolling in with a cup of coffee, you know, talking to their friend, looking at their phone. Guess what? They're on their face, prostrate before God, saying, holy, 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 holy is God. There's a reverence, there's an awe and a respect. And I can tell you that part of the key to experiencing more of the presence of God in our church is fear, reverence, respect, and honor for the presence of God. And we've got to lay aside some of our wrong mentalities about that. But notice this, fire came out, Uh, we we don't know exactly what happened it just says that they offered unauthorized fire that the Lord did not command so in I mean you know logically they probably violated Exodus chapter 30 verse 34 in some way fire comes out and of course Moses and Aaron are watching this happen these are these are Aaron's sons Aaron is is appalled he's mortified what just happened and look at what Moses tells him before Aaron could speak because I know what Moses has in his mind he's like Aaron you better watch what comes out of your mouth next buddy I don't know what you're about to say, you better be careful after what just happened. So Moses speaks up to Aaron real quick and he says, listen what the Lord said, the Lord said that among those who are near me, those who are close to the presence of God, those who are so close that they're in the, the literal presence, manifest presence of God those who are near me I will be sanctified one translation says counted holy I will be sanctified I will be counted holy and before all the people I will be glorified why because any type of sin cannot be tolerated in the presence of God it is instantly destroyed this is this is why we have to be covered by the blood of Jesus. This is why the whole priest, the way they had to approach God, and all the sacrifices and the blood and all of that that was involved, it was all about making it so that a sinful person could be in the presence of God. So, I read these things. First of all, how many of you are glad we don't serve the Lord in the Old Testament? <laughs> uh, but but if we did, we'd be a little more studied up when we came to church. I think about what was allowed and not allowed. But, but thank God we don't serve the Lord under that. No, we serve God in the New Testament under grace. We're invited into the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus. But listen, without, without understanding what we're talking about here, you can't even be thankful for the blood. You can't even truly be thankful for the sacrifice that Jesus has made. When you read in the New Testament that we're invited into the presence of God, you can't even be grateful for that unless you understand this, that it's a big deal that you're allowed into the presence of God because all of this is being overlooked because of the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice that He made. It's an amazing thing. But, how does that apply to us today? Well, I've always thought this. For example, is God going to strike me dead if I go out and commit a sin after after church today? No. And thank God for that. But does that mean that I should go out and commit that sin. Does that mean that I should take advantage of the grace of God and just go out and do? No, I don't think so. I I think a true appreciation for the blood and the cross is to live holy even though I'm not going to be punished uh, because of my sin, I still think I should, because of my love for God and and my commitment to Him, that I should be living a holy life. Not And and this is what God really wanted. I'm going to live a holy life not out of fear of punishment but from a different place, I'm going to live wholly out of love and commitment and faithfulness to God. And that's what he really wanted. Just like us with our kids. Nobody, nobody wants their kids to obey out of fear of punishment. The only reason you're doing it is because you're afraid of me. Now, if it comes to that, that's what we'll do. But that's not the goal, right? You don't want your kids... Obeying out of fear of punishment. No, we want you them to obey because you heard what I said and you understood it, and and you get it, and it made sense to you, and now it's part of your value system, and you follow it. Same thing. God didn't want His kids worshiping Him and serving Him and being in relationship with Him out of fear of these types of things. He wanted us to do it out of love. But here's the thing: just because there's not punishment for it, does that mean that we should just go all, you know, relaxed about it and and not walk in the same type of reverence and honor and respect that we can see from Scripture He uh, wants us to have? I think that we should walk in it even if there is no punishment. Amen? Amen? Now, another thing we've got to keep in mind about the church is The church is not about any one person's individual preferences. And this is what I was talking about earlier, how we come from different uh, church cultures and backgrounds and things like that. And so some people go, well, this is how, and without realizing it, some people go, oh, well, this is how church is done. No, that's how the church you were part of did it. But actually, every church is slightly different. Every church takes on its own personality and culture and things like that. Here, one of the things that guides us is not what's best for one person, but what's best for everyone, what, because it's a family, it's a group. Paul talked about this in First Corinthians, where he was talking about communion, and he was actually getting mad because the people that would come to church, it was a time of feasting and and drinking and things like that for in the breaking of bread and fellowship of the Lord, and uh, At that, that time, they were using real wine, you know, in communion. And so there were some people that were taking it too far. Imagine coming to church and you got people next to you getting drunk. I mean, hey, that's, it could be, that was an issue. And so Paul, this is what he told them. He said, look, guys, he said, you're missing the whole point of what we're doing here. We're supposed to be honoring the body and the blood of Christ that was broken for us. And really, the way you're doing it, he said, you're actually dishonoring the body and I love one of the things he says he says don't you have your own homes to eat and drink in but when you come to church and partake of the the body it should be done in a way that's a blessing to everybody and I love that statement that he says he said in other words look if you want to drink and eat the way you're doing it he said okay you have your own home to do that in but this is not your own home this is the body of Christ this is the church of God and what we do here should be best for everybody. It should bless the, the group. And, and so really what he was trying to tell them is you should come and sacrifice for those that are around you, not you know, only think about what your needs are and and how I can meet my own needs. You should have been thinking about your brothers, he said, because some of you are are, are basically participating in gluttony. And he said there's some that are not even getting any of the bread or any of the wine. They're, they're going home hungry because you ate it all. It's just funny that he's even having to address this, right and it's it's funny that God thought we should put he should put that in the New Testament for us to see, because every word's inspired by God, and he, and he put it there so we could read it and understand. That's not how we're supposed to come to church with that mentality. So let's turn to First Corinthians chapter fourteen. I'm going to read several verses out of this because Paul starts to talk about uh, spiritual gifts and the church, and how we should consider one another, and all of these things. 1 Corinthians 14, 5. Uh, we're going to jump around through several verses. We're not going to read the whole chapter. But verse 5, he says, Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Keep in mind, he's talking about in church. Uh, if you read the whole chapter, he's trying to actually correct the Corinthians a little bit and sort of provide some guardrails for them because they were very they 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 were very uh, active in spiritual gifts and those there were tongues there were tongues interpretation there was gifts of healing there was prophecy that was a lot of that was happening in this church and so he's trying to provide some guardrails for it in the church service okay so he says now I want you all to speak in tongue in other words speaking in tongues is a good thing right I, I want you to do it but in church, he said even more to prophesy because prophecy is what it's an inspired utterance. It doesn't just mean, in Scripture it doesn't just mean telling the future; it's an inspired utterance from God. And he says even more to prophesy. So preaching, in, in a sense, would be prophecy. Anyone who's speaking under the the power of the Holy Spirit would be prophecy. So he's saying in church, prophecy is more valuable than speaking in tongues. Why? It's simple. Somebody speaking in tongues. He just explained this in uh, verse two. He said, the one who speaks in tongues, no man understands him. He says, if you're speaking in tongues in church, uh, and he's not talking about like while we're worshiping and things like that. He's just like, if, if you're speaking in tongues from with a microphone to the pulpit, you know, to the group or to another person, he says, nobody can understand what you're saying. So it doesn't provide any value to the group. So he says, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy because the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up you see and there's the issue so that the church may be built up that's the goal when we come together and so I can see you know of course what Paul was dealing with and I know church people by the way so I I know the 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 kickback here is well wait a minute I got the gift of the Holy Spirit I can speak in tongues whenever I want Well, Paul says no you need to do what's best for building up the church Why? Because coming to church is not all about you and your individual preferences. So he said, yeah, you praise God you have that gift. But it still needs to be done in a way that blesses the church. So he says, in church, an inspired utterance of prophecy is actually better as far as building up. Why? Because everybody can understand what's being said. Verse 11. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker uh, to me. So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, look at this, strive to excel in building up the church. Did you know that when you come to church, you should be striving to excel in building up the church? That's the goal. If everybody comes with that mentality of what can I do that's going to help build up the church? What's going to be a blessing to the church? We're all going to be okay. But many times that's not how people come. They go they think more in terms of these are my rights and these are what I can do and I have the right to do this. He said, "Yeah, but that's not what's best for building up the church." It's to- totally different mentality. And I've seen this in ministry for years. People that get upset because of something that they thought they should be able to do okay but that doesn't mean what you may have that personal right but that doesn't mean it's best for building up the church Uh, you know I'll give you an example of uh, something that happened some years ago Uh, and I don't even like giving these kind of examples but I think for the context of what we're doing I think it'll help I think it's important Uh, there was a guy that when we, would have the, when we would have church service, um, there were times where it would get real quiet. The Spirit of God was moving, and just like today in worship. And man, worship is going, everybody's you know, shouting, there's some people clapping, there's some people singing at the top of their lungs, praise God for that, right? Because we're all doing it together, and it's building up the body. And then sometimes the Holy Spirit comes in, and everything just gets real quiet and is real sensitive and then at that time it would be very inappropriate to shout or clap or say almost it was grieving because it doesn't seem to be what the Holy Spirit's doing at that at that moment and so there was a guy that for some reason in those moments where where it would be quiet that he would just yell out he, he would yell something out and so I let it go for a while I said you know just trying to discern what's going on here Why why does that seem grievous to me And eventually, you know, I talked to him about it, and I talked to him about it from this standpoint of it's not building up the body. You know, uh, I understand it's a preference, and people are going to have a lot of different opinions on whether that was good or whether that was not. But here's the bottom line. Somebody has to make the decision about what is good for the body and what's not. And in that case, as a pastor, that's my that's my role. That's part of my job is to go, this doesn't seem to fit. This doesn't seem to be a blessing to the body. And so we talked about it from that that standpoint. And what he ended up admitting was, because I was asking him, why do you do that? What is the what are you in that moment, what are you thinking, what's happening? And he ended up admitting that the reason for doing it was because he felt like our church was not expressive enough. And so he was trying to encourage other people to be more expressive. And I said, that's not your job. That's not your job to do that. And that explains everything about why it felt so wrong. Because, number one, uh, there are people that are under authority that their job is to encourage the church. Worship team would be one, right? The pastor would be one. And, hey, how about the Holy Spirit? How about the Holy Spirit? in people encouraging them to participate in worship and things like that. So it was very abrasive and it wasn't coming across from the right heart or the right spirit and as soon as I heard the reason why then I knew why because it wasn't of God to do to do that. So and I and I and and look through through the years we have people that come to this church that come from a more like charismatic pentecostal type environment and and they may think well this church isn't expressive enough they're they're not demonstrative enough because that's the kind of church they come from then you have on the other side people that come from Baptist churches that they come and they go whoa this church is too too expressive there's there's too much spirit and too much thing going on in here okay so everybody feels different depending on where you came from and what you're used to but again the church culture is what it is and it's not anybody's job to come in and to try to change that it's our job to come in and to participate in that if God has called us here in other words if this and if it's something that you can't be a part of you don't you don't try to change the church that you're a part of like that you have to go find a church that fits for what for what God wants you to do but let me just tell you this if you're approaching church in general as trying to find a a place that just fits my every little want perfectly you're going about it completely the wrong way to begin with and I'll tell you the number one most important question that every believer ought to be asking when it comes to picking a church is this where God has called me and if this is where God has called me I'm gonna overlook a lot I'm gonna adapt to a lot I'm gonna adjust to a lot because this is where I'm called to be and it's the same in a marriage and I look at participating in a church a lot like a marriage, because when you make a commitment and, and God has shown you to be somewhere, just like in a marriage, you don't up and abandon that relationship the first little obstacle you have, the first little problem you have. But people will drop going to church like that the first little time something happens that they don't like, or they didn't, you know, they didn't think was right, or first little thing they disagree with is, up. well, let's change churches. We go. Why? Because there's 50 more we can, we can try. But listen, you do that, you'll be going to church, to church, to church your whole life. And it's a mentality that's wrong to begin with because church is not actually first and foremost designed to serve our every little need. Church is, is for, and f- first and foremost, church is for fulfilling the mission of God, number one. That's why we exist. It is here to, to organize to mobilize f- around a central purpose and mission and person of Jesus Christ, get on the same page and move towards that mission. And in the course of that, are there going to be little bumps and roads? Are you going to have things you encounter you don't like or don't agree with? Yeah, you're going to be wrong about it, and that's going to happen. But, you know, are, uh, are you going to have little relationships with people in the church, little things that happen? or your kid said this to that one in the back? and the- Yes, that's going to happen. That's going to happen. And you don't leave the church you pray you ask God you get your heart right you problem-solve you communicate and then you move forward around the mission of God in the person of Jesus Christ amen so verse 12 he says so it is with yourself strive to excel in building up the church that should be what we strive for is whatever builds up the church verse 26 what then brothers when you come together now notice he says when you come together each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, but let all things be done for building up. And what he's communicating to them is, look, when you come in church, he said, everybody may, there, there are several people that could get up and share the word, right? There, there's probably several people in maybe, maybe in your prayer time this morning, you got a revelation from God, you're like, man, I could share the word this morning, or, or man, I can sing, how come I'm not on the, on the worship team? Look, this is what he says. He says, when you come together, he said, there's probably a lot of people that have a hymn or a lesson or a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation. He said, but all things need to be done for building up. Why? Because the body, there there may be an outlet and a place for your gift under the, the structure and authority of the church or even outside of the church, but he said, it's not the church is not a place for your gift to be showcased when it's all about you that's kind of what he's trying to say he said praise God you have that gift and there's a place for it in the body of Christ but but if you're coming from the standpoint of well I've got this gift and I want to use it he said that's the wrong that's the wrong mentality verse 32 and I love this he said the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets for God is not a God of confusion but of peace now this is kind of what, if you read the whole chapter, you understand what he's talking about here. And that would be somebody who gets a, gets a tongue or a prophecy or a word of knowledge, the gift of the Spirit. He's trying to tell them, you don't have to just blurt that out. Why? Because the spirit of a prophet is subject to the prophet. That's, that's what he's saying. In other words, you can do things decently and in order. You can hold that. You can wait on that. You don't have to do that right now. And sometimes people, will, you know, they get real excited. and They think, oh, well, I, just can't, I just can't help it. I just, he said, no, the spirit of a, pro- a prophet is subject to the prophet, meaning you're able to control that until God gives you the moment to, to do that. Why? He says, for God is not a God of confusion. In other words, there's not going to be one person speaking up here and then, oh, all of a sudden somebody out here has a word from the Holy Spirit. No, oh, so, all of a sudden somebody here. No, God's not a God of confusion. In other words, if, if he's speaking in one place, he can say what he needs to say there. He's not going to just up and um, say something out there uh, that's going to interrupt his own self, if that makes sense. Verse 40, I love this. But all things should be done decently and in order when we come to church all things should be done decently and in order. In other words, there is a specific way that we are to do things in a certain order and in a certain way. Now, what is the balance here? Well, the balance is is that everyone's going to feel slightly different about what that is. Everyone's going to feel slightly different about what is decent and in order. Everyone's going to feel slightly different about how energetic and expressive should the worship be or not be. Everyone's going to feel slightly different about that. And so everyone is going to adjust slightly. In other words, there are some that probably need to participate a little bit more. There are some that may have to dial it back, just, just a hair. In other words, to be part of, the, part of the body and to make sure that what we're doing is building up the body. I can, I can tell you um, one of the problems that we can get to because people think, well, you know, I, I want to be very expressive in worship and that's great and we want that. But also keep in mind, no matter what we do, we don't want to draw attention to ourselves. That's really the issue. You don't want to draw attention to yourself. You want to draw attention to God and and bring people's focus to God. And there's such a beauty when the church of Jesus Christ comes in unison and, and, and has a spirit of unity to all worship and express themselves to God. When everybody gets that right, man, it's beautiful. Isn't it, isn't it? Some of you have been in worship services where we just seem to really nail that and everybody is just going after God and it usually happens on more like a prayer night or something like that for some reason because I don't know if it's because we have less people or what but people are just going after God and man the presence of God just comes in that room and it is a beautiful thing. That's where lives really are changed right there. So there is a balance to, to the whole thing um but again just remember you're part of the church that you're that you're part of um we pray we ask God help us help us to see help us to know help us to understand what is right what is not what needs to be tweaked where do we need to be more open where do we need to be more submissive we're praying and asking God all the time uh same thing that Jesus taught the disciples to pray not my will but your will be done. That's that's what we want. And when we come with that attitude, everybody ends up getting blessed.